0: Good morning. Good to see everybody today. It is uh, a chilly day. This is probably uh, the last couple of days have probably been the coldest that we've had uh, this winter. Uh, I don't think winter is over yet. Um, But as I have said many times before, if it's going to be cold, I want it to snow. So I don't know if there's going to be any snow in the forecast or not, but uh, try to stay warm. Uh, again, if you're having a hard time hearing in the, the cheap seats in the back, feel free to move forward um, and uh, uh, pay attention to God's Word this morning. Uh, as, as I have been preparing for this uh, sermon series and, and really looking at the text that we're going to be talking about again this morning, it's just come to, to my realization that this is nothing new. This is really nothing that you don't already know. And that really is the crux of the issue, isn't it, for us as, as believers, is that we know far more than what we're living out in our life. And so there's a danger in acquiring more knowledge Because the more knowledge you acquire, the more truth you understand, the more you're responsible for. And so this morning as we continue our series, um, just be aware uh, that our purpose here is for God to do a work in us that he might transform us, that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus more and more with each passing day. So um, last week... Uh, we began a new sermon series called Magnificent Obsession. Uh, if you weren't here, I would encourage you to get online, go to our website, listen to the message or watch the message and, uh, and get caught up because this is part two. Last week we did part one talking about our mission and I introduced the series by talking about uh, a movie Actually, it was a book that was made into a movie a couple of times, but the one that I was referencing was the 1954 movie with Rock Hudson and Jane Wyman. By the way, did anybody bother to pick up the DVD and watch it this week? I'm just curious. Okay. My wife and I watched it, and uh, as I was watching it, it was neat. It was the Criterion Collection, uh, and so I was surprised when it filled up my entire widescreen. I go, oh, this is pretty cool. So watched it again, and I remembered... Um, missing a part. There was a part in the movie that was extremely powerful that I'm going to share with you now. It'll be much briefer than last week. But if you remember the main character, Bob Merrick, Robert Merrick, he was the rich playboy. And uh, Dr. Phillips was the philanthropist, the, the guy that everybody loved, who who gave his shirt off his back to help people. Well, Merrick ends up at the house of Ed Randolph. And Ed shared a similar philosophy that Dr. Phillips did, and that was he believed that the secret to true reward is to love people, to help people, to give to people without anyone even knowing it was you doing it. In other words, he's following Jesus' advice to give in secret. And your father who sees in secret will Reward you. And he tells them that, you know, this is this is a great way to live. This is how you'll get true reward. You'll find happiness this way. To which Merrick responds like this: Well, if it's as simple as that, why I'll certainly give it a chance. And at that point, you understood that Merrick doesn't get it. He's thinking, this is a way kind of, of getting ahead or feeling good about himself. And this is what Ed Randolph says to him. And he says it quite forcefully in the movie. Now wait, Merrick. Don't try to use this unless you're ready for it. You can't just try this out for a week like a new car. And if you think you can feather your own nest with it, just forget it. Besides, this is dangerous stuff. One of the first men who used it went to the cross at the age of 33. And I forgot that that was in the movie. And the reality is, is to love like Jesus is dangerous. It's dangerous because we're putting others before ourselves. It's not for the faint of heart, We don't do it to look good. We don't do it to impress people. We don't do it to get a pat on the back or get our name in lights. We love because he first loved us and gave himself up for us. And he gave us an example to follow in going to the cross. Remember what Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Pick up his cross Let him deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. And you know where he was going. He was going to Golgotha. He was going to Calvary. He was going to die for us. And so this is no trite philosophy that Merrick is about to set out on. It's dangerous. And may I suggest it is equally dangerous for us. If we take Jesus' words seriously, if we really endeavor to love as he loves. Now last week we took a look at the first part of the great commandment in Mark chapter 12 where Jesus answered the question, what is the greatest or most important commandment? And if you remember, Jesus responded, the most important is, hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And I mentioned that Jesus links our love for God with our love for people. There is no commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. They're two sides of the same coin. And they are inseparable. And last Sunday I also mentioned that we demonstrate our love for God um, in many ways, but primarily in, in giving him our time, in our obedience, and our service. And we said that one of the most common, most overlooked ways that we serve God and love God is by loving and serving others. And I spent some time talking about that. True love for God will always result In love for people. Jesus says, "You, you cannot love me whom you do not see if you cannot love your brother whom you can see. And though we love God the foremost, we are to make it our aim in life. And by the way, none of us does it perfectly. We do not love God perfectly. We do not love one another perfectly. But yet, that is what we're commanded to do. And it's only possible because of the redemptive work of Christ and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what makes it possible. We we can't do this in our own strength. We need the power of God. We need the love of Christ within us to do this. And it starts first by cultivating our own relationship with God. And out of the overflow, we minister and we love God. Others, And it's interesting to note if you look at verse 31 that Jesus uses the same word for love there as he does in verse 30. And remember what we said about this word. It's the Greek word agapao, coming from agape, the highest form of love. And Jesus is, in this verse, not saying that as we love others that it's somehow a secondhand love. That it is not uh, as as good a love, quality-wise, as the love that we have for God. He is actually saying it's the same kind of love. We're to love people the way that we love God. Now, as I said, we love God first and foremost. But we are to love our neighbor as ourself, we are to do it genuinely, sacrificially, and unconditionally. Now here's the rub. It's hard enough for us to love a perfect, holy, loving, all-loving God. <laughs> it's a lot harder to love people who are unloving, unholy, and imperfect. But that's what we're called to do. And by the way, in case you're wondering, you're one of those people. <laughs> so as I say that, don't just be thinking about the other Somebody thinks that about you, undoubtedly. So this morning, we're gonna continue uh, exploring our mission or our magnificent obsession by looking at the second part. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? So let me pray for us. Father, I do thank you for this morning and for this opportunity to open your word Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be our teacher and our guide. I pray, Lord, that you would open up the eyes of our heart, that our hearts might be enlarged, that we might desire to obey you, to serve you, to love you, evidenced by the way that we love and serve one another. Lord, would you conform us to the image of your Son? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You know, if love was merely an emotion, this text would not make any sense. Because you can't command somebody to have feelings. If it was was that easy, I would have been married a lot earlier. (laughs) Honey, love me. Okay? It just doesn't happen. You don't turn your feelings on like a faucet. Now, we ought to try not to allow our emotions to control us, but the reality is is emotions are all over the place. So when Jesus commands us to love our neighbor, he is making it clear he's not talking about our emotions. Love here, agapau, is a verb. So it has more to do uh, about what we do than how we feel. Also, Jesus is not implying, as some people think, that we first have to learn to love ourselves before we can love others. Some people look at that as if we are to love others as we love ourselves. Well, you can't really do that unless you really love yourself. Well, that's not what Jesus is getting at. In fact, the assumption here is that we do love ourselves. Unfortunately, some people do that far too much and in unhealthy ways. So some have argued that we shouldn't love ourselves, that it's sinful to do that. That, after all, didn't Jesus say we're to deny ourselves? We're to die to ourselves? We're to put others first? Yes, he did. But there is a difference between healthy self-love and unhealthy self-love. To love one's self is to acknowledge and recognize our worth before God. As the psalmist has told us in Psalm 120, uh, 139 I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God formed our un- unformed substance within our mother's womb, and he crafted us and molded us together, and we are as he intended us to be, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. To hate one's self is an offense to God, for we were made in his image, in his likeness, and we are the objects of both his creative and redemptive love. And so we have to acknowledge that. It is false humility to to deny that, to to hate ourselves so that we might love others. No, we have to rightly love ourselves for sure. And Jesus is saying here that that the love that a person naturally has for himself is the kind of love that we should have for others. He has to appreciate, honor, honor respect, value, esteem, and care for others, even as he does so himself. I love what uh, Daniel uh, Aiken says in his commentary on Mark. He said this, The more I rightly love myself, the more I will deny myself and love others. I will serve the needs of others with all the energy, passion, and zeal with which I attempt to meet my own needs. This is what it means to love your neighbor. Now Luke tells us another story about another lawyer who came to Jesus with a different question in order to test him. And Jesus, like he often does or did, he answers with questions himself. He he wants the questioner to understand the underlying premise or foundation of which they ask their question. And so we read about this in Luke chapter 10. And it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now again, this gets back to something I said last week, that love is the fulfillment of the law. If you love God and you love people the way that we're supposed to, then you don't even need the Ten Commandments. Because love does no wrong. The lawyer understood the command. That love was the fulfillment of the law, but it is one thing to know the truth, it's another thing to live it. And Jesus turned the tables on this man, and now he is convicted by his very own answer. This should have brought him to repentance, the realization, you know what, I'm not doing this. I know it, but I'm not doing it. And the reason why we know he was thinking that, because the very next verse tells us he sought to justify himself. Look at verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Funny, isn't it? This guy who looks so spiritual, spouting off Scripture, all of a sudden realizes he's not obeying it. And so, like a good lawyer, he has to parse words to get out from underneath, obeying the command. Oh, who, who, who is my neighbor? You know, there's, you know everybody can't be my neighbor. I mean, who after all, who's my neighbor? So, you know, I'm not. He's trying to get out from underneath the responsibility to love his neighbor. So uh, here we see Jesus now launching into his teaching. And he tells a parable. And by the way, a parable is simply a down-to-earth story that teaches a heavenly truth. And so Jesus replied, and this isn't up on screen. You'll have to look along with your Bibles or uh, listen. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy and Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. See, this parable is remarkable for, for several reasons. But but one is Jesus didn't tell a story or a parable that put a Jew front and center, showing him to demonstrate love to a fellow human being, even to a Samaritan. He doesn't do that. Rather, he tells a story of a Samaritan demonstrating love to a Jew. Now, you have to remember that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other too much. In fact, they hated each other. That's why Jesus told this parable. It sets up a remarkable contrast. And What he is pointing out in telling this parable is something we need to understand. And it applies not just to loving our neighbor, but really to just about every other command we have in Scripture. And that is simply this. Failure to obey God's commandment does not stem from a lack of knowledge, but from a lack of love. Most of our problems and most of our issues Most of our sin is not a result of a lack of knowledge. In fact, most of us feel guilty when we sin. When we lie or cheat or steal from our neighbor, for instance. We know it's wrong. We've heard the scriptures. We know we shouldn't be doing it. The problem is we don't love them enough to not do it. We don't love God enough to obey him. And so what he's getting at here is the issue is not a lack of knowledge. Certainly a priest and a Levite understood and knew the law. They knew what God required. This man came to Jesus and, and said, Hey, yeah, the answer is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He knew it, but he didn't do it. And that's one of the points that Jesus is is making here. Second, I think Jesus is rebuking the man by suggesting that a Samaritan, even a Samaritan who loves like this is closer to the kingdom than a religious, unloving, disobedient Jew. And that's convicting for me. Because as I look out in the world, sometimes I see people who are not followers of Christ. Who love far better than I do. Who care for others far more than I do. Who invest themselves in so many ways in other people more than I do. Clearly, the man here got more than he bargained for. He was hoping to get out of the ditch. (laughs) Instead, he found that the ditch was dug even deeper. He didn't expect to hear Jesus say that his neighbor would include his enemies. But that's exactly what Jesus did. And this isn't the first time that Jesus has said this. In Matthew chapter 5... Starting in verse 43, Jesus said this You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Luke chapter 6 too. In verse... 27, Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Did you notice verse 31? We love people, including our enemies, not only the way. We love ourselves, but the way we want to be loved. So even even if we don't love ourselves as much in a healthy way as, as, as we ought... Most of us crave it. Most of us desire to be loved and in some very specific ways. We want people to treat us kindly, to do good to us, to have mercy on us, to care for our needs, etc., etc. And here Jesus says, in the same way you want to be loved, the same way you want other people to treat you, that's how you're to treat them. That's how you love them. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Now, did you hear all the practical ways in which we express or demonstrate love to others in this passage. If you have your Bibles there in in Luke 6, I would encourage you to underline these things. Um, I'm gonna highlight them for you. These are just some of the things that we've read just in this one passage. Consider a practical application. We are to do good to them. We are to bless them, pray for them. Do not retaliate, give generously to them. Do not demand things back from them. Treat them the way you want to be treated. Lend to them, not expecting anything in return. Now, if this is how we are to love our enemies, how then should we love our spouse, our parents, our children, our relatives, our friends? By commanding us to love our enemies, what Jesus is saying is there is no one outside the scope of our love. There is no one on the outside that we should not love. Because all throughout Scripture, we're commanded. We're commanded to to love our husbands or love our wives and children and and, uh, one another and even our enemies. We are commanded to love everyone as God gives us the opportunity to do so. This is what it means to love your neighbor. Now, um, G.K. Chesterton said something once that I thought was humorous. I think there's a lot of truth to it, but he said this, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are generally the same people. I think there's a lot of truth to that. But again, we also fall into that category. Now, remember what I said earlier. It's easy to understand the truth. It's it's another thing to live out that truth. And just thinking that because we know something, that it's true for us, um, opens up the door to deception. My life group heard me say this This past week, I've said it before, but you can think you are what you know when you are not. Just because you know truth doesn't mean it's working for you in your life. Doesn't mean that you're living it out. Knowing truth is not the same thing as living out that truth. And because we can be deceived, we need sometimes to have people in our life who will point out the deception. That will say to us things like, "Hey, you know, brother, uh, appreciate all the verses on loving your wife, but we really don't see you doing it." Or, "Hey, um, you know, love, love, everything that you said uh, about loving God, but, um, you know, I'm 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 not sure getting drunk every Friday Saturday night." Um, is, is really a good demonstration of that. that. That's what Jesus does here for a guy in Matthew chapter 19. Take a look at this passage. It says, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when I read that this past week, Two words stood out to me, just jumped right off the screen. Maybe they did to you too. And it's the words, which ones? I mean, Jesus says, keep the commandments and he has the audacity to say, which ones? Which ones are you gonna leave out? Which commands that God has given do you feel are not as important that you need to obey? So Jesus, tell me which ones should I obey? You know the you know the ones that'll get me in or you know get me eternal life. As if it's an option to pick and choose which commandments you want to obey. Jesus could have said to you know all of them. He would have been perfectly right to have turned around and say all of them. You have to keep them all. You want to be perfect? Be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. He doesn't do that. Jesus could have said, could have focused on the commandments that simply focus on God himself, like not taking his name in vain, keeping the Sabbath day holy, not putting any other gods before him. He doesn't do that. Do you notice the commands that he chooses here to to list for this man? They are all the commands in the Ten Commandments That are related to loving people. Jesus knows something about this man, and he's putting his finger on it here. Of all the Ten Commandments, these are the ones that he's putting his finger on in this young man's life. And then the young man responds All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Do you hear the pride and the self-deception in his words? That he he would actually tell Jesus, Oh, those. I've kept all those. I've done all those. So what else do I need to do? Jesus then said to him, If you would be perfect or complete... Go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, this rich young ruler deceived himself into thinking that he actually loved his neighbor as he loved himself. And it was as if Jesus was saying, okay, you say you love your neighbor as yourself. Then it shouldn't be too difficult for you to go and sell all of your possessions, take the proceeds, and give it to the poor. Since you love your neighbor as yourself. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it because he had lots of stuff. And he had lots of stuff because he was taking care of number one. He was taking care of himself. He loved the comfort and the security and the pleasure of owning all that stuff. And he loved himself more than he loved his neighbor. Jesus helped him to see this. And I think he came to understand this Because he walked away. Loving people is directly tied to loving God. It also demonstrates or shows us, and I think showed the young man, that his love for God was not all that it cracked up to be either. Because he went away sorrowful. He left the one person who could give eternal life, who is the source of eternal life. Now, back in Mark, when Jesus was asked the question, which commandment is the most important or the greatest of all? Remember, Jesus answered that the Lord, your God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, I want to focus on the second one in verse 31. Jesus quotes from Leviticus 19. I mentioned that last week. In Leviticus 19, we read, Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, this is really neat because Jesus could have said something in his own words to the effect of the same thing, but he quotes earlier Deuteronomy, but now he's quoting Leviticus. And in so doing, he's putting his stamp of approval on the Old Testament. What he is, in effect, saying is that the Old Testament is authoritative. So he quotes the Scripture. Jesus isn't the first one to say, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, before we look at this chapter, and we're only going to do it briefly. I'm just going to give you some bullet points. I want to share something that Martin Buber said. I don't know if you've ever heard of Martin Buber, but he was a Jewish-German philosopher and scholar. And boy, I think this is so insightful. He says, what you must do is love your neighbor as yourself. We know that. But then he says this. There is no one who knows your many faults better than you but you love yourself notwithstanding. So notice he said, you know all your faults and you still love yourself. And so you must love your neighbor no matter how many faults you see in him. You know why? Because whatever faults you see in him, it's far less than what you see in yourself. And if you still love yourself, then you can love your neighbor. Now, to more fully understand what Jesus meant when he said to love your neighbor as yourself, I think it would be beneficial for us to just spend a minute looking at Leviticus 19. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn over Leviticus 19. It's not on screen. And pull out your pen, pencil. I want you to underline all the things in this chapter that define for us what it means to love your neighbor. Because God has not left this up to our imagination. We don't have to wonder how to do it. He tells us back in Luke 6. He tells us here in Leviticus 19 and throughout Scripture. So I'm going to tell you the verse. I'll tell you what to look for when you find it. Go ahead and underline it. To love your neighbor means, in verse 10, we care for the poor. In verse 11, we do not steal or lie. Verse 14, we are to be fair in our business dealings. We're to care for the deaf and the blind. Verse 15, we're to deal justly with all people. Verse 16, we're to avoid slander. Do not jeopardize the life of your neighbor. Verse 17, do not harbor hatred against your brother. And also rebuke your neighbor when necessary for his and your good. And then verse 18, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against others. That's the context of love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. I hope you were taking notes this morning or at the very least jotting down references, but what is of most importance is how you will respond. Because your response will reveal your heart, And it will expose what's really important to you. Loving your neighbor as yourself is dangerous. It costs Jesus his life, it will cost us. And it will cost our life one way or the other either in endeavoring to love God and love others with with, with everything that we've got, with our entire being, may rub people the wrong way, that we're persecuted, thrown in jail, lose our job, be martyred, or it just may be that we will go through our days making decisions that cost us time and money and energy and maybe some of the things that we would like to do for ourselves in order to love others as we love ourselves. So church, this kind of love is genuine, it's sacrificial, and it's unconditional. It's like our love for God. So let's love God and love people and let it be our magnificent obsession. Next week, we will look at the second part of our mission that comes from the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. I hope you will be here for it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning and for the admonition to love our neighbor. Not only as we love ourselves, but as we want to be loved. And as you have loved us, Lord, we want to follow in your footsteps. We want to be like you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I confess I've got a long way to go. But it is my prayer that you would ruin me for anything less than being conformed to your image. Lord, when this life is through, Lord, I want to know that I gave you my all that I have loved you to the best of my ability, that I have loved others to the best of my ability. And Lord, I pray that for our church, that we would be a church that is known near and far, not only by our love for you and our love for one another, but for those outside the four walls of this church. Lord, would you use us to further your kingdom, to bring you glory, and may there be many more lovers of Jesus in your kingdom as a result.